So, so, so the louder you are, the quieter I'll be. Does that work for us? Good. 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, our primary text is in the 13th verse. Will you stand for the reading of the word? It's good to see everybody. I love the 8 o'clock service. Uh, there's going to come a time that I'm going to tell the 9.30 service. If you want to hear pastor, you've got to come to the 8 o'clock. <clears throat> Mark my word, it's going to happen. Not that I'm great or special, but uh, I prefer to come early, uh, worship the Lord early, get into his word early, and then go about my day. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 13. Let's read together like if you're awake already. Ready? Read. Bow your hearts. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word is true. Lord, I thank you for your presence that makes teaching and preaching, Lord, uh, possible. Anoint me, Lord, I pray to do just that. Grant me clarity of mind, precision of speech, and give these your people an ear to hear, a heart to receive, and the grace to apply. And we will be careful to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Our study today will have us considering how to endure common demand temptations. Now, our text declares no temptation. I love that phrase because it covers them all. Every temptation that we face. But the temptation that Paul is speaking about more specifically within the context of our study is really dealing with two things. Number one, sexual immorality. And number two, murmuring or grumbling. If you want another word, complaining. Paul is dealing with these things. Sexual immorality and grumbling or murmuring. Now, these are the temptations that he calls common to man temptations. And why are they common to man? Because every day you and I are tempted to complain. And all the complainers are quiet instead of saying amen. <laughs> every day you're tempted to murmur, to grumble against God. And not only that, but we also face sexual temptation on the regular. Whether you're single or married, it doesn't matter. So within the context of our study, Paul calls these things common to man temptation. Now let me give you some background of the chapter. In this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals extensively with idolatry. And what he's telling the church at Corinth is, hey, watch out. Because the church at Corinth was believing that they were not in danger of being dealt with the way that God dealt with Israel in times past. So Paul says, learn from Israel of old. Learn how God dealt with their idolatry severely. 23,000 would fall in one day, he would say. We read in the book of Numbers because of sexual immorality that 24,000 would die. After Israel would worship the golden calf, 3,000 men would fall that day. This is the God that we serve, and it's something to consider, and we live in grace, but the same God that, that, that was over Israel then is over us right now. Now, we might not see 25,000 fall in a day, but Paul is telling the church at Corinth, be mindful of the idolatry of your heart. Don't assume that God won't deal with you the way he dealt with them. Something for us to consider. Now, he tells them this because ultimately the people, some of the believers at Corinth, they didn't have any problem eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. They were eating meat. They were causing their brother to stumble, and they didn't care much about it. Please, please hear this. 
They were causing their brothers to stumble by eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. But their heart was self-seeking. All they cared about was what they wanted to do. This is one of the temptations that I think we're going to deal with today in our study. That issue of self. Our issue. The temptation to care, to glorify, to magnify self. This is a common to man temptation. Now let's get some background. Let's read the primary verses. Let's begin in verse 6. Now go back in your Bible. Don't look at me. Look at your Bible. 1 Corinthians 10. Now let's read verse 6 through 12 if we can. Are you with me this morning? All right. Let's read loud and strong. Uh, Verse 6. Give me verse 6, brother, please. We're going to read verse 6 through 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 12. Does he he have it? Do you have it on there? Okay. Uh, While they do that... There we go. Ready? Read. Now these things took place as what? Uh Uh-huh. That we might not desire evil as they did. Keep reading. Wait, we're falling off here. Come on, y'all. Ready? Read. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did. And were what? And were destroyed. Can you imagine if the Lord God sent serpents to destroy us if we were idolatrous? Let me help you. Nobody would be here. You're like, I'd be good. No, you wouldn't. You see, idolatry today has taken on a different form. You don't bow before a golden calf. But anything that exalts itself, anything that exalts itself in your life, anything that you prioritize above the Lord your God is an idol and it's idolatry. And if that's not enough, we are oftentimes guilty of a more heinous form of idolatry and it's spiritual idolatry. Spiritual idolatry is exalting anything other than Christ in your heart. You can exalt ideologies. You can can even exalt dogmas spiritually and be guilty of spiritual idolatry by replacing Christ with something else. So this is what Paul is, I'm sorry, I got excited about the Lord sending snakes. Let's let's, Let's move on. Verse 10 now. Ready? Read. Nor grumble. Read that again. Okay, as some of them did, and were what? We're destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Now these things, but they were written down for our, everybody say instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, that brings us to our text. Now, verse 13, let's consider clause A, because now Paul is going to exhort them, okay? The two primary sins that he's dealing with is sexual immorality and complaining, okay? Now, let's deal with it. Verse 13, clause A, ready? Read. There has no temptation taken you. Now, stop. Let's deal with that. Uh, You should have it, brother, on the screen. There has no temptation taken you. Let's deal with this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. So God reminds us here through Paul that our temptation is not unique. I said it to the men 
I know you think that Satan has to reinvent the wheel with you, but he does not. Somebody has endured the temptation that you're enduring right now, and they have overcome by the grace of God. You are not alone in the temptation that you face every day. These things are common to man. That should encourage you. That means that somebody has already overcome. Somebody has gone through what you're going through. And we, uh, Pastor Adam preached, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses that have gone before us. Witnesses that have overcome by faith and the grace of God. They're common to man temptations. Now, my first point is this. Common to man temptations are the most dangerous. Brother... Common to man temptations are the most dangerous. Now, here's the question. Why are common to man temptations the most dangerous? Number one, because they are aimed where we are at our weakest, and that is at our propensity to be selfish. Common to man temptations are the most dangerous temptations for us because they aim at where we are weakest, and that is at our propensity to be selfish. It is our nature. It is our innate propensity to be self-seeking, to be self-centered. This is why Satan concentrates most of his efforts on your selfishness. This is not a message that I expected everybody to shout, hallelujah, preach louder to me. Satan will always focus on where I'm weakest, and this is all of our weak area. It's your issue of self, the issue of self. The Lord, and I, and I can be, I need to be candid and transparent with you. I told my wife the other day, I said, the Lord, uh, just a few weeks ago, told me, listen to me. And I shared this with Brother Joe at camp. I said, Brother Joe, let me tell you something. The Lord the other day told me, boy, get over yourself. I said, come again. I was, feeling, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling like I had a right to feel the way I felt. And the Lord said, get over yourself. Self is the issue. Ultimately, it's always about you. And I was like, Lord, God, help me. It's heavy. And I was sharing with the brother at camp. I said, this is such a heavy issue for us as men. I said, even when I've been in sin, Watch this now. I said, even when I was in sin, I realized that it wasn't even about what the sin was. was it wasn't about what I was doing or it wasn't about how, who I was doing it with. It ultimately was about how it made me feel. It was about me. The gratification of self was at the center of what I was doing. Now, you might have to peel back some layers to get to that reality, but that's what's at the root of the issue, self. So Satan's going to attack you there. His strategy, the, what, what he uses to do it, might vary from person to person, but that's the issue here. These are common to man temptations. Selfishness. Now, I know nobody else deals with this, just me, uh, but um, may the Lord help me today. They're aimed at where we're weak. It's our nature. Now, common to man temptations, secondly, they're most dangerous because they encourage us to nurture a fantasy. And that's exactly what it is, church. They nurture the fantasy that the world revolves around us. And it leads us to believe that we ought to possess what we desire and all the things ought to go our way. Now, this was what Israel was guilty of. They were grumbling. One theologian said this, grumbling and murmuring is rebellion, watch it now, it is a rebellion against the competence of God. That's heavy. I wish I would have thought of that. 
He said, Israel's grumbling is a rebellion against the competence of God. When we murmur, we're saying, God, you're not competent enough to deal with what we have going on. You're not competent enough to know what's happening here. Grumbling is a, is a rebellion against the competence of God. Who here would say the Lord God is incompetent? But by murmuring, that's in essence what we're saying to God. God, you don't know what you're doing. Wow. Israel grumbled. This was, their, this was their sin. They were idolatrous and they grumbled. And if that wasn't it, they didn't care about their brother. Their heart was self-seeking, so they were eating meat offered up to idols. And they didn't care that their brother was stumbling because their heart was selfish and self-seeking. So here's the question. Here's where it gets... Here's where it gets practical. So what do we do when we feel like grumbling? And what, how many are tempted to grumble every day? I'm, I know I'm a complainer. Help, please don't leave me here sick and alone. How many are struggle with grumbling? I struggle with grumbling. But boy, as the Lord was preparing me, the Lord, that was such a check for my heart. I'm like, Lord, forgive me for grumbling so much. For grumbling about what's going on. It's an attack against your competence. That was so heavy for me to read that. So, Lord, forgive me for grumbling. Not only that, Lord, the temptation to sin, sexual immorality, these are common to us. So what do we do when we feel like grumbling? What do we do when we're tempted by any lustful indulgence? Because some of you are here and you're like, I'm not tempted to lust. Oh, but there's something carnal in you that you desire. And let me help you here. It's not always sexual. Sometimes it's just eating too much. Sometimes it's drinking what you shouldn't be drinking. Can I, do I need to go on here? It's binge-watching television. You're indulging your flesh. Anything in excess, it's a, it's a sinful, carnal indulgence. Okay, y'all are real quiet today. I don't know what's going on. But what do we do? Look at, verse, look at our text now, verse 13. We look for the escape. Pastor, what do I do when I'm tempted to grumble? What do I do when I'm tempted uh, to pursue what I want? What do I do when I want to feel like the world revolves around me, when I want my way? What do I do when I don't care about my brother? What do I do when my flesh is out of control? I look for the way of escape because how many know that God is faithful to provide a way of escape? That's what our text says. Look at verse 13. Give me verse 13. Let's read it aloud. Con ganas. Ready? Verse 13. Ready? Read. No temptation that is not common to man. Keep reading. But God is faithful. Say that again. God is faithful. One more time. God is faithful. See, this is where the Pentecostal in you should, 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 should rise up. That's one of those pause moments right there. God is faithful. Hallelujah. What do we do? We look for the escape. And we look for the escape. Give me the point. We look for the escape. What do we do when we're tempted? We look for the escape. Let, let's, let's break this down. We look for the escape. Secondly, and we look for the escape. We look for the escape. Watch this now. Knowing that, A, God is faithful. Look for the escape. When you're tempted, he's going to provide an escape. And as we look for that escape, let me tell you, I preached about temptations moment last Sunday, and let me tell you how many can confess to this. When you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to be idolatrous, when you're tempted to murmur, there's always a moment where you have a choice. It's almost like the Spirit of God says, watch your mouth. And you have to either cross over that threshold and go, ah, and start complaining, or you keep your peace. Last night I told my wife, we were talking, it was late at night, and I said, I said, a great prayer for you to pray is, Lord, put a guard over my mouth. See, we're, we're, taught, we're taught to pray, Lord, guard my heart, but we seldom pray, Lord, put a guard over my mouth. It's not only about the meditation of my heart. 
Lord, let the words of my lips be pleasing to you also. You see, we're, we're so, this is such a common temptation for us. Uh, look for the way of escape. God's going to give you a way out of grumbling. God's going to give you a way out of that temptation to be sexually immoral. God's going to give you a way out to, to not, not indulge your flesh. God is faithful. Can I tell you that Satan would destroy us in a minute if God would allow him to? You should have shouted amen to that. Satan would destroy us in one minute if God would allow him to. Satan wanted to destroy Job, but God said, you can only come this far. Satan wanted to destroy Peter, but God said, no, you can only come this far. My God, I love it. When Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Let me help you. Satan would blow you out of the water. Satan would destroy you in a minute if God would allow him to, but here's where you shout, but God is faithful. Here you, here it is, but God is faithful. Am I tempted? Yes, every day am I tempted to grumble and complain every day but God but God is faithful and I was grateful I said God thank you for not allowing Satan to destroy me you're faithful think about how many times I failed think about how many times you failed and still you're here because God is faithful not you God is faithful Secondly, we look for the escape knowing that God is faithful. Secondly, we look for the escape knowing that God has set limitations on our temptations. Look what the text says. Clause B of the text. Ready? Give me the text, brother, please. Verse 13, clause B. Ready? Read. But God, God is faithful. I, I add the but, I'm sorry. God is faithful. Pick up. And he will not let you be tempted. What? Beyond your. How many can say praise the Lord for that? That tells us that God has set limitations on our temptations. He will not suffer you, the text says. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. Like a mom who keeps her child away from the candy aisle. Knowing that the child can't handle that kind of temptation. I see it all the time. I see kids all the time. Every time I go to the store, almost without fail, I see a parent go down that fateful aisle and their kid, their toddler starts bawling, just bawling because they want the toy, they want the candy, and they can't have it. But they still take them down that aisle. And I think to myself, why would you even subject them to that? Don't even go down that aisle. Now, I'm using toddlers, but let's talk about you. If you know that you're tempted to be idolatrous, if you know that you're going to be tempted to murmur, if you know that you're going to be tempted to, towards sexual immorality or any lustful indulgence, why even go down that aisle? You've got to learn to find the way of escape. And sometimes the way of escape is getting out of a conversation with somebody who has a chronic tendency to murmur against God. Learn to say, mm, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I got to go because you murmur and then you suck me into this. Let's be real about it. And I'm guilty of this. These are common to man temptations. I'm doing okay, and then all of a sudden somebody invites me out to eat something, and I'm doing good that day on my diet, and I'm watching myself. My flesh is in control. Come on now, the Spirit of God is helping me to say no to those desires. And then somebody invites me, and I say, yeah, I'll come along. Before you know it, there I am stuffing my face. 
Just the other day, just yesterday, I think, my daughter had some kind of dessert that she brought home from some bakery. So uh, they went to the, the place in La Quinta, the bakery, and, and they have real desserts. And so I walk by her, and I'm trying to be good, and I walk by her, and I see her sitting at the table, at the head of the table, no less, with her little pastry there. And, she, and then she cut herself some strawberries, and she's there eating. She'd take a, a bite of the cake and then strawberries. And I'm looking at her like, what? I said, what's that? Oh, I got it. I brought it home from the bakery. What did I do? I did what any good man would do. I went and got a fork and started indulging myself. I said, give me this. You can't handle this by yourself. God sets limitations on our temptations. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to fail or succumb. God is faithful to do what? To provide a way of escape. So understand, thirdly, that God always considers our capability to endure it. We look for the escape, understanding that God always considers us. He considers our capability to endure a thing. I'm grateful for that today. And let me pause right here to say that what we can endure changes through the years. What we can endure changes through the years. I can handle some things today that I couldn't handle 10 years ago. I wish you'd talk to me in here. Your children, as they grow up, they can handle some things a little bit better than they could when they were little. And so it is with us. As we grow up in God, what we can handle in the Lord is it grows, it changes through the years. Some of you, when, when you were babes in the faith, you couldn't handle certain things. You couldn't handle people talking bad about you. When I was a new pastor, this was so hard for me. For me, it was people leaving the church. The Lord put me through the ringer. I mean, he, he sent us to a wilderness as soon as I took the pastorate at 25. People in my own family left the church, started a church of their own three miles down the road from us, no less. The Lord put us through the wilderness quickly. I had a hard time when people would leave the church. I took it personally. It would cut me to my core. I would struggle with this. I, 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 I'd feel like quitting every Sunday. There were, there were days, and my wife can attest to this, that she, she, she'd ask me, what do you want to eat? And I would just become a mute in the car. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I felt like I had preached the worst sermon of my life. Every Sunday, I felt like I had blown it. I took those things personally to heart, but now some 11 or 12 years later, those things are different for me now. You see, I'm using myself as an example, but you should be able to look back and say, I don't handle things the way I used to five years ago in the Lord. I'm able to deal with things a little bit better. I hope you can say that I can deal with things a little bit better than when I started. Now, but let me say this. Some of you are like, nope, I'm still there, bruh. I'm still bad. Be encouraged, though. God always considers what you're capable to endure. But you're not going to graduate. You're not going to stop encountering those temptations until you pass that test. Satan's going to continue coming around with that same trial, with that same test, until, you, until you're able to show your adversary, this doesn't have a hold on my flesh anymore. Brother Larson years ago said, son, I remember when the Lord saved me from quaaludes. I was addicted to cocaine, painkillers, quaaludes, all kinds of things. And I knew that I was born again for reals when I was able to be around, when, when I was able to see it. I'd go to places and I'd see some of my old friends and they'd offer me cocaine. They'd offer me quaaludes and I had no desire for that anymore. He says, now I promise you I can walk. He said, now, I, now don't misunderstand. He said, I don't walk into a room where cocaine's laid out all over the floor or on the table. But I know that if I, if I ever walked into a room where drugs were laid all over the place, I would not desire them because God has delivered me from that. 
If, you're, if God delivered you from alcoholism, do I recommend that you hang out in bars? I absolutely do not that you recommend that you, recommend you hang out in bars. But you get the idea. If somebody's drinking around you, you're not going to fall into that sin because you're able to deal with it now on another level. That's the goal. God considers what we're capable to endure, and I'm glad about it. I would never lay something on my daughters that they can't handle. God considers us, and I'm glad that he does. But we're going to face the same temptation over and over again until we graduate. Until we graduate. We look for the escape knowing that God's faithful. We look for the escape knowing that God has set limitations on our temptations. We look for the escape knowing that God always considers our capability to endure it. Secondly, take this home. God will provide the way of escape, but he will not force us to take it. God provides the way of escape. What he won't do is force you to take it. There's that moment where you have to decide, am I going to complain? Am I going to fall into sexual sin? Am I going to be faithful? There's always that moment. Temptation always has a moment. God provides the way of escape, but he will not force you to take it. The story of a, of a little boy at a supermarket, he was standing by the candy and the clerk was watching him. He was standing by the candy aisle and he was there looking at the candy and then he was looking around and he was looking at the candy and he was looking around. Some of you little thieves, you can, rec- you can, you can relate to this story. I was never a thief, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but the little boy was standing by the candy and he, and he looked like he was going to put some in his pocket. He looked like he was going to steal that candy. How many have ever stole a candy bar before? Just be honest. Just confess. Sister Joy, you stole candy? Oh, my God. I need to stop asking these questions because then my view of you changes. I was always scared to steal. I was afraid to get caught. The chicken. The story goes that the little boy was in the candy. He was standing right by the candy. He looked like he wanted to put some in his pocket. And there was a clerk just watching the little boy. And the clerk finally told the little boy, it looks like you're trying to take some candy. And the boy said, no, I'm trying not to. Some of y'all, that you'll get that in the car. Oh. For that day, at that time, he was able to bear it. And sometimes you and I are like that boy in that candy aisle. We want to take it. But really what we're doing is we're trying not to. Be encouraged. God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape. And he will consider what you're capable to endure. Somebody clap your hands and give God a praise. Hallelujah. There are two principles that I need to exhort you with. God will provide the way of escape, but he's not going to force you to take it. But I want you to understand two things. Number one, prepare to not want an escape. (laughs) You need to prepare yourself to not want that escape. When you were tempted and when you failed, and we've all been there, we've all been tempted and we failed that test. Why? There was a way of escape. I know because God's faithful. But you failed. We've all failed. You got to prepare yourself not to want the escape. You saw it. You knew that that was your way out. That was your window. There was a moment for you to get out, and you stayed in. The hardest part about fighting these temptations that are common to men is that we don't often feel like we want to escape in that moment. We want to stay there. Nobody's going to say amen to this, but your flesh wants to stay there. (laughs) We want to stay there. We don't want that. Don't be surprised by this. 
A lot of people fail right here because, because they, they, they think, well, I don't really want to get out. But, but they, allow, they allow themselves to get stuck there. Embrace that reality, man. It's okay to say, you know what, Pastor, right now I don't even feel like getting out of this mess. But I know I need to. I pray that God give me the grace to take the way of escape that he's provided for me. But embrace this reality. You're not always going to want to look. You're not always going to want that escape. I remember God showing me clearly, this is your escape, boy. Run. I was like, well, I don't really want to take this route. I like it here. Y'all are eerily quiet right now. But prepare not to want to take that escape route. But secondly, understand, lastly, that fighting temptation means that you trust God's promises <laughs> over your carnal perceptions. Fighting temptation is about trusting the promise of God over what you perceive to be better. It's a mirage. Fighting temptation means that, God, I'm going to trust your word because your word is truth. And let me tell you, for every temptation, this isn't in the notes, but I've experienced this myself on a very deep and personal level, especially in this season of my life. With every temptation, there's a promise in the word of God that will solidify where we stand in Christ and will strengthen our soul and our spirit, man. For For every temptation, there's a promise to counteract that mirage, that lie of the enemy. You see, when Satan tells you this is better, God always has a promise in his word. Come on, talk to me, somebody. When I want to fulfill the desires of my flesh, the Lord says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the what? The desires of your heart. When I'm tempted to take my own way, there's a promise that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You see, there's a promise of God for every temptation, for every mirage. For every lie of Satan, there's a promise in the word of God that comforts us and strengthens us. Look for that promise. Stand on God's word over the temptation of your own perception. Well, I think it's going to be better over here. It's not better. Stand on the word of the Lord. His promises are yes and they are amen. Some of you struggle, you fail over and over again because you don't have any word to stand on. That's why, and I shared with Pastor Sarah, I said, get in the word of God. Hide his word in your heart. David said, thank you, Holy Ghost. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that what? That I might not sin against you. For every temptation to sin, there's going to be a what? It's going to be a word there, a promise there that say, man, my flesh wants to go here, but there is a promise that I can stand on right now. And his promises are sure and they're true. And the temptation is a mirage. It's a lie. It promises something that it can't deliver. All the temptation is is a promise that's empty inside. That's all temptation is. It's an empty promise. It's a bad check. Elder Brown, that's what temptation is. It's a bad check. It promises the world, but it can't deliver. So when you're fighting temptation, stand on the promise of God's word. How many can say amen to that? And let me encourage you, when you fail, not if you fail, because you're going to grumble. It's common to man. These these are our common to man temptations, to grumble and complain and and to pursue the desires of our flesh. This is what Israel was guilty of. This is what the church at Corinth was doing. Now, when you fail, not if you fail, we go straight to the cross of Jesus and we confess our sins. 
because he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. When you fail, not if you fail, take it to the Lord Jesus and repent of that sin and keep moving forward. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Give God some praise in the house today. Everybody's standing.